Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Based on an explosive true story, I Got a Monster, retails in highly dramatic fashion, one of the nation's biggest police corruption scandals. In 2017, Baltimore was rocked by the federal indictment of Wayne Jenkins, a highly decorated super cop and leader of the Baltimore Police Department's elite gun trace task force, along with six other members on racketeering charges. In a city plagued by racial tension and violence, plainclothes detectives from the gun trace task force had been celebrated for holding the thin blue line. The film, again, is called I Got a Monster, and we're joined today by the director, Kevin Abrams. Kevin, welcome to Film School Radio. Howdy. Thanks for having me. As I mentioned to you just before we got started, I remember hearing kind of the echoes of this story from here on the West Coast, but certainly Freddie Gray and what happened to him alerted me on a different level as to what was going on in the city of Baltimore. How did you get onto this story, and why, why did you want to turn it into this documentary? Yeah, well, I have a, a good dear friend who's a local reporter and writer from Baltimore, and he was working for the local city paper, and he was covering these stories for years. And when he reached out to me, he and a, a partner of his, another person covering these stories, were in the process of converting all the research that they've done into a book. And as they were doing that, he said, listen, I think we also have a great documentary here. Do you want to take a look at what we have and see if there's some way we can collaborate on it? We took a look into it immediately. Our eyes sparked. I love police dramas and thrillers. Serpico movies like that are some of my favorite movies. I was raised on that type of filmmaking. So off the chart, immediately saw those elements of the story. When we dove deeper, I began to really emotionally resonate with all the fallout that the victims were dealing with. And as much as those elements of the crime thriller was what initially intrigued me, it was the other elements of the victims that really pulled us into the story. And once we heard what they were dealing with, we decided that we had to move really fast. We got a camera, we flew out to Baltimore and started interviewing really quickly. We worked in parallel with the guys. They were able to write a book as we were making the movie. And we and it just was really ended up being a, a lovely coincidence that these two separate paths ended up putting out two specific pieces of content about the story. Have you ever lived in the city of Baltimore or spent much I've time? Not, okay. But I've fallen since fallen in love with it. Well, let's talk a little bit about the history of Baltimore policing. Um, because what we see in the film and what when we what we see about Wayne Jenkins and this and the like is it's unique, but it's not new. Correct. Let's talk a little bit about the history, the relationship between the police department and the predominantly African-American communities that it, uh, it it seems to be the most fraught in terms of the relationship. Yeah, I mean, Baltimore is a very complicated city when it comes to crime and policing. There is a long legacy of corruption that has come out of the process between crime and policing, and also a large legacy of violence for a city of its size that has a pretty high murder rate. And one of the major things that every person who comes into the mayor's office, who gets elected into office, all these people are trying to come up with ways to, to solve or lower the murder rate. 
And as a result of that, they have created these task forces, which are enabled and given the freedom to police in more aggressive ways, hoping that they would be able to capture the people that would be responsible for the murders. With that also comes, unfortunately, a long history of people not providing proper oversight to these task forces. So a system gets created where people are chasing statistics that can be translated into the lowering of the murder rate. And the way and the tools that the police department are using to try to achieve this is by creating task force that can go out and aggressively police. And what gets lost in the conversation is that you've empowered this one organization to aggressively police, but nobody is sitting there protecting the rights of the people that they're policing. So as a result of that, you have this systematic issue where this gets translated from regime to regime, and nobody is actually doing the proper work to create an infrastructure to reduce the problems or the discrepancy between the policing and the victim's rights. Yeah. Well, and to go even further back, and I mean, it's appropriate, I don't know how much germane it is to our discussion, but Maryland, going back to the era of the Civil War, of of civil rights for African Americans, was was a, a troubled state for for slaves fleeing the south there there's a history there that goes way back right yeah i mean the police department was was created to basically deal with runaway slaves yeah there you go to monitor what was going on within that conversation maryland's a very complicated state right now it feels like a very northern state and when i think of the northeast i lived there for years i think of Baltimore, Philly, DC, New York, Boston, like that's the corridor. There's a train that hits all those spots. But historically, it was actually very much a Southern state. So it's on the Mason-Dixon line. If you get further South in Maryland, you very much feel the South. And a lot of the Confederate leaning ways were adopted by the state. So, I mean, even to this day, you sit there on the harbor and you see the cannons pointing North in case the Union troops came down. As a result of that, a lot of this was inbred into the system. As the state evolved in the city, there was um, a huge issue with how there were regulation population growth. Certain communities wouldn't sell to blacks. There was something called the black butterfly, which is if you look at a map of Maryland or map of Baltimore, you would see sections that were owned by whites and blacks and everything within that butterfly shape was white owned. Everything else was black owned. So there was a history of the segregation in which obviously created socioeconomic issues and then separated these people from being truly ingrained into the city. And then the cops would go out and police them. We're currently here in Southern California, Los Angeles uh, specifically, are dealing with some version of what we see in your film in I Got a Monster and that there's been allegations of police gangs here in 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 the Los Angeles Police Department, and then there's also special units they call them that are tasked with going out and essentially, you know, policing in a more aggressive manner. Let's to be to be polite. And I think for me, looking at those strategies for reducing crime, you're giving basically a whole bunch of people with little to no oversight. Uh, essentially, you're turning them into a hammer. And to them, everything looks like a nail. Is that is that fair to say? And that is a lovely way to frame it. I'm going to start using it if you don't mind. No, but that that's a very accurate assessment. You are taking away the 
systematic ways to monitor the cops under the pretense that by doing that, you're empowering them to be more effective cops. Now, what is proven through that conversation is that it actually allows them to function and act in ways that exist outside of proper mandate. And if you give somebody an inch, as the old adage goes, they'll take a yard. These guys are given yards. So they're not taking inches or yards, they're taking miles. Yeah. And it's really something that's true, proven to be systematic at this point, as you see it happening in Memphis and all these other places. I'd like to hear someone tell me about the creation of any kind of law enforcement unit that stayed within the boundaries of its of its mission statement, of its prime directive that didn't that didn't abuse its its authority. And I don't think you'd find very many. Yeah. I mean, we spoke to a lot of police officers that were heartbroken by this, and they all basically said the same thing. If you're going to have this type of policing, you have to have much more rigid oversight to make sure that these people are behaving correctly. If you don't have it, it will not be successful. But Kevin, is it, it's sort of implicit that the creation of these units is almost prima facie less oversight. I mean, there's 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 something kind of inherent about the fact that you have to create a, a, a su- your uh, your super force to go out and police people in, and then you're saying, then you're going to say but we're going to keep an eye on them that this yeah I, I completely agree and I also think it's very reactive as opposed yeah. to proactive yeah reacting to a situation as opposed to looking at the systematic elements that are contributing yeah. to the situation so if you want to have the deeper conversation fix the social issues don't there you try go. to throw the cops in there to to correct an issue that's already out of control. That is, yeah, you're right. We're veering into the a discussion about a lot of things here. I want to focus on, uh, I've got a monster. Uh, the film is wonderfully done. Uh, we've got to talk about Wayne Jenkins, as I mentioned, the, the gun trace task force. We also have others in the film that are what I'll call a countervailing uh, influence in the city of Baltimore, people who are doing the right thing. And let's talk about uh, Ivan Bates as well. So let's talk about Wayne Jenkins and where he fits into this picture we're, we're describing. I mean, Wayne Jenkins is the perfect prototypical example of this going bad. Hot-blooded guy gets put into a situation, empowered. He loved his job. He loved charging and he took advantage of it and took it to the nth degree. So he is the outcome of what happens in a system like that when things are unchecked and the worst version of it. Um, I think a lot of its personality as well and discovering who he was yeah. by nature, he fashioned himself a bit of this type of personality. He thought very highly of the type of behaviors that he chose to embrace, chasing people, driving 120 miles per hour down city streets. He would crash into people who would constantly be needing new cars. He would constantly be chasing people. He was just one of those bad Denzel Washington type of characters that you see in the movie. And he owned that. He actually talked about that and was proud of the fact that he shared those overlaps. So that's yeah. William Jenkins in a nutshell. And also charismatic and all the yeah. things that allow for somebody to achieve in some ways some success that he did. And and also in some ways, he is the embodiment of what a lot of people in the public would like to see more of in their policing. Which is the scary thing, which also led to why he probably got more leeway than other people, because he was effective. He got numbers. Like 
eventually a lot of policing we touch upon it in the film is a numbers game if you're showing arrests people think you're doing your job and that in public court of opinion is an effective thing when you're trying to bring down the murder rate the film talks about that and it becomes a hugely controversial thing he the only thing he lacked was martin lawrence as his as a co as his, <laughs> as his sidekick it uh, is true it is true so well let and then some of the stories in the in the film not some all of the stories in the film relate back to wayne jenkins and the, and the actions of the of this task force but also the the one the the couple whose lives were ruined for a with no they didn't do anything wrong except that they had cash in their car or their van the night that Wayne Jenkins pulled them over mm-hmm. and that we, I don't want to get into too much detail but that I just to tease people into just just kind of this horrific impact that he had on people's lives in in so many different ways and but let's let's talk about Ivan Bates because I think it's we have the other side of the, of this story to to be told as well. Yeah, I mean, I, Ivan was a do right lawyer. He wanted to make this system better. Just to give a little context, Ivan Bates is a character in our film. He was a defense attorney, and he began to see a trend in a lot of the people that he was arresting that they were all the arresting officer was Wayne Jenkins. And when he began to examine the arrests, he began to see a lot of dishonest, controversial elements in the arrest reports. So he realized that there was a trend here and a pattern, and he decided to do something about it. And eventually he got so upset by what he was seeing transpire, he would go after people specifically that he knew were arrested by Wang Jenkins, just so he can pull more files and more cases to show this pattern of behavior. Um, there's other lawyers that we talk about as well inside the in the film that also are fighting the good fight and trying to let people know about what was transpiring. And that's the one great thing about Baltimore is it's just such a passionate city. And there's so many local people that are fighting day in and day out to try to make it a better, safer place for its citizens. And we get to talk to a lot of them in the film. A few years ago, there was a film that came out called Charm City, documentary about Baltimore, which again, you know, there's there's so many people in that community in Baltimore who want to do the right thing, who are trying to do the right thing. And they're up against some institutional issues as well as just um, cultural, economic issues as well. But it has the potential. And I know people who've spent time in Baltimore who love Baltimore. And you mentioned it earlier. Yeah, yeah I'm one of them. I mean, the people amazing. The food's amazing. The culture's amazing. It's walkable. It's charming. You got the beautiful row houses of you know, early industrial Northeast America, you got people that have been there for years, there's a dialect, there's a welcoming, there's a really funny hustle, everybody's sort of hustling somebody or something, and it's just got a great energy. But unfortunately, because of the infrastructure and the mismanagement of it, it's been very problematic for it to find a a consistent way to elevate itself into a, a safer and, I guess, less questionable city. And listen, you know, you look at the mayors, the last few mayors were all convicted of crimes. I yeah. mean, they were kicked out of office for bad behavior. It's something that happens systematically also on the top level. It's not just the lower level that that causes challenge to the city. I want to remind our listeners, we're speaking with Kevin Abrams. He is the director of I Got a Monster, and that's something that is said in the film. And it refers to something very specific about Wayne Jenkins and his style of 
of doing business. Um, the the gentleman whose name just escaped me, um, his buddy that he was funneling a lot of the. Oh, Donnie Step, the uh, Donnie bondsman. Yeah, he. Uh, it's funny how some people, I don't know by by design or by happenstance, look the part. Yeah, but he looks the part. He does, and I mean, you know, Donnie's a fascinating character. We've yeah, been friends throughout the process, and we were very lucky and fortunate that he agreed to let us interview him. And a lot of people for a while were trying to get him on the record. And the day before he was turning himself in to the to get arrested and to go to jail, he let us interview him. Wow. And so we have his last interview before he gets put away, and we film him actually turning himself in in wow. Baltimore before he gets sent off to prison. He um he was a great entry point into Jenkins and what he was really up to, and you know, unapologetic about what he did, but also very apologetic about the damage that he the result of it. And right now, I think is is really trying to do his best to atone for the the ways that he hurt the city. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I love documentaries that take me to places that I know something about, but then deepen my understanding. And also, let's be honest, what hap what's happened in Baltimore, what is happening all around the country? You mentioned Memphis. Um, name the place: Chicago, Los Angeles. It's it is something that. We need to figure out what law enforcement is good at, and we need to figure out what law enforcement is not good at, and we we got to figure out how to make that work better for for uh, for the, all of us. Again, the film is called "I Got a Monster," and it will be available on all the usual suspects uh, platform wise, beginning on Friday, March tenth. So be looking for it. Kevin Abrams, thank you so very much for your time today, and thank you so much for this wonderful film, "I Got a Monster." Thank you. I appreciate the time. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. 